0: you're listening to a podcast from the media motel coming up this week in episode 508 1971 did music really change everything the weirdest premier league season ever and how a band becomes a happy meal that's all coming up after stevie wonder and if you really love me
1: I see the light of your smile Calling me all the while You are saying, baby, it's time to go First the feeling's all right Then it's gone from sight So I've taken out this time to say
3: Along with PJ Harvey, Stevie Wonder must be the most played artist on here over the years. And yes, that, I think it, so. <laughs> might be a good thing, Jules. Uh, this was one of the last songs uh, Stevie Wonder had, uh, the Funk Brothers as his backing band, but he, mm. he still did play bass, piano and drums on this. Number 20 in the UK, number 8 on the Billboard Hot 100 from 1971, Stevie Wonder and If You Really Love
0: Me. I mean absolutely Stevie's always a delight always a pleasure never a chore to spend some time with, with with Stevie Wonder he's he just the the depth of his back catalog is just crazy you could you could pick you know you could pick anything you could almost stick a pin in any Stevie Wonder album and you get something that is that is delightful I'm such a fan thank you Sir T for bringing Stevie <laughs> back to us Well thank
3: you for all for joining us for Parish oh. Council episode 508 I'm Terence Stackham and mm-hmm. Here's a woman who was minus 13 in 1971 it's Julia Harris
0: Good morning afternoon evening night everyone and
3: earlier this week I was listening to a Spotify playlist it was called the top 100 of 1971 wow. and, and okay. it was just it was just magical one great mm. track after another yeah. and the idea that 1971 was a pivotal year for music is further explored in an Apple mm. TV series that uh, premiered this week. It's made by the team that produced um, the archive constructive uh, constructed documentaries, uh, Amy Senna, yes. racing, and uh, Diego Maradona, of course. Um, now, the thing is, now for, for me to enjoy a documentary on music, there are several rules mm. that need to be adhered to. Um, okay. I don't want a narrator. Uh, an on-screen narrator is even worse. Okay. Uh, I, I don't want talking heads, particularly those of people who were in kindergarten during the era under discussion. <laughs> and I don't want amusing subtitles. And happily, this new documentary from Apple TV stuck to my rules. Um, mm-hmm. And also, of course, we've got to add for any documentary about music between nineteen six I think this would be common for many people uh, as well, yes. music between 1963 to about 1980, in, including anything, say, about the West Coast, yes. Laurel Canyon, the Beatles, Swinging London, Punk, hey, uh, yes. ashbury Woodstock, Altamont. Is it even possible to find any new footage? Well. Although there was much that was familiar, Apple TV managed rather wonderfully to find some new materials. So, Jules, this documentary is titled 1971, The Year That Music Changed Everything. Well, that's quite a claim.
0: It is, isn't it? And it's based on David Hepworth's book, 1971, Never a Dull Moment. Um, it's, it's constructed differently to Hepworth's book in that, Hepworth's book, in which I have recently started reading it. Didn't I did order a copy? It didn't, when I twigged with it, was that the, the it and, and what we're going to watch was sort of the same thing. Didn't quite arrive in time for me to read all of it, but I did read a bit of it. And that's constructed each chapter sort of January to December chronologically. Whereas this didn't, well, it seemed to have a very loose structure in that I, I. In a way, I quite liked it. Although I found it disconcerting at first, the fact that it was just a sort of a mishmash of footage that was vaguely hung on the peg of the Vietnam War and kind mm. of political awareness and artists believe it, sort of producing political awareness generally, I thought it was. I I did enjoy it. I loved the. I thought the footage was very unusual, like you say. I thought the choices of music were very good. Actually, I thought they didn't always go for the obvious, and I thought it was it was that was very well done. You think about the subtitles. Funny enough, very occasionally. Lyrics of the songs would be mm. kind of subtitled. I found that quite annoying. I found that a little bit. <laughs> yeah. It's guys, I know, and I I know no, that you I know that yeah. you know that Bangladesh is about Bangladesh, and and you know, they're making points in this. I don't need it in big white type on my laptop screen. You know, I I I get it. You know, I've I've, yeah. I've got a devils. I understand. So um so that was a little bit irritating. Although like you say, that the lack of a narrator is good because it means you don't really get spoon fed. I found I found parts of it a little bit obvious at times. Um, I I do take slight issue I'm enjoying Hepworth's book so far but uh, there's a I, and I, I don't know if this is just me being a bit of a humorless lefty millennial that's self-centered and all these other things that although apparently i'm now a geriatric millennial just Indeed. to rub salt into the wound but um he talks about how he was sort of how he's run won the lottery by being born in in 1950 and he said at this point you may raise a skeptical eyebrow and say that for you too the music of the year in which you turned 21 or 18 or 16 or whenever you felt most alive still speaks to you in a way no other year does that's natural that's just growing up we all have precious memories of one soft infested some when we were young for us too the soundtrack thereof will always be rocks Annus mirabilis there's an important difference in the case of me, tonight, me in 1971 the difference is this i'm right oh dear I, that, <laughs> okay. I, well. he might it, it might be it might be sort of you know like yeah. it might be cheek. it might be humour. it did rank with me a little bit because <laughs> and it, and i it, i feel the same way and and you know i do get that you know, that, that I I don't like this idea of a constant baby boomer versus millennial war. And Hepworth wrote a really interesting piece on his blog about this years ago, which I did and didn't agree with, which is why I liked it so much. I think because I didn't agree with all of it. Basically saying I'm sick of being told I had it easy by people who weren't there. Yes, yeah. fine, but there was quite a lot of the the circumstances, and again we talked about this before on the podcast, but that that made life easier in some ways, large structural things, and I feel a little bit. I'm a little bit sick of people telling me how great, you know, of, of, of you know, people that are doing very nicely, thank you. And I don't mean this person at David Hepworth. Well, mm-hmm. I mean just generally the, all the usual sort of talking heads saying, oh, this is a really important man. It's like, yeah, great. I'm sure it probably was. But I, I, I find it a little bit a little bit like when there was a chap that used to be in my music classes at school. He was very irritating. He went on to join the police force and I'll just leave that there and not say anything about it. But anyway, he, um, he I remember him saying once, we, our music lessons would often go off on tangents with our teacher who you, you would expect a music master that was a part-time farmer, an owner of a car dealership and father of seven children and lived on a farm. He would he would quite often and he was adjusted the pieces as well. He would, things would quite often go off on tangents. We didn't learn that much about music and and i remember this this chap saying once telling us this interminable story that seemed to be based around the fact that he'd had well we said it was a dream but he claimed it was some kind of out of body experience he was very clearly dreaming but anyway we are about 13 or 14 and he'd said that he'd dreamt, he'd regressed to a past life and that he was Samuel Pepys and I remember a friend of mine who was uh, enjoyably cynical for a 13 year old saying to me once, isn't it funny that when people regress to past lives, everyone's no one's ever shoveling excrement are they? Everyone (laughs) always regresses and they're someone really important and I think there's a little bit of the kind of a yes Yes, but my year was the really special one I I find it a little bit ranklesome although I do get that there was an awful lot of amazing music produced in 1971 the thing that I found the most interesting and thought provoking about this episode that we watched the first of eight was that it went on it drew some I thought some very sly comparisons between John Lennon and George Harrison I very much enjoyed it as a Beatlehead, and you know we're both Beatles fans mm. regular, regular listeners will know that we are you know that the Beatles have changed both our lives and that we love them very dearly. So the post Beatle world. We see John Lennon and Yoko and, and John Lennon, you know, the genesis of Imagine and him talking to Tariq Ali. And we see George Harrison um sort of putting together the concert for Bangladesh, which was really the first charity concert. I think it was Phil Spector. That the, the voiceovers from Phil Spector literally came from another planet, didn't know. I was very <laughs> startled. I must have been looking down and I had him go, Oh my god, it's it's Phil Spector, God. Um anyway, so so I found it I found it really really telling actually. And I've often thought about this. Lennon to me came across as perhaps sincere. I I want to say perhaps sincere. There was a little bit, he was very pleased with himself, wasn't he? And it did make me think how intolerable would John Lennon be if he was around today? There was just some, I did feel that McCartney and to some extent the other Beatles were holding him back from being really deeply annoying and self-satisfied. I suspect that he was probably sincere. There was an awful lot of self-publicity involved as well. He was sort of, there was the attitude, he was like, oh, well, whatever you need me to do for Bangladesh, I'll do a press conference, without seeming to know anything about it. He was asking Tariq Ali the mm. most basic of questions, yes. going, oh, well, are they all the same religion then? Well, of course they're not. You know, I could have told you that. Anyway, he he, he seems to want to do it whilst putting himself front of centre and plays Imagine, which sounds really trite now i think i don't think imagine is aged well it sounds it's whereas what is it that makes me find imagine really trite yeah i'm very deeply moved by my sweet lord by george my, by george, george michael george mm. harrison i always have been yet with each passing year i seem to find more depth in it and it's interesting that the lyrics of imagine are very simplistic aren't they and they're very addressing you know i say addressing the issue addressing all sorts of vague issues without actually being about anything whereas my sweet lord the lyrics are more oblique they're not they're not sort of you know they're not actually saying about peace and love and things yeah i find i find something in it that is very moving and i found Harrison to be much more sincere in a way it, it, than Lennon was. And the fact of the matter was that you know George Harrison took a massive risk. It would have been so. I mean, it was hard enough for him to do something that no one had done before and putting that all together. I mean that the footage of him and Dylan at the rehearsal together. Regular listeners will know of my antipathy towards many aspects of Bob Dylan. Yet I found that genuinely moving and lovely to see the two of them together. And there was just something about it that was. I mean, even if it had just been him putting together all the stars and then just doing all the Beatles hits, that it's. I love the fact that Ringo Starr wasn't invited because he didn't. George Harrison didn't want it to be like the Beatles, and George and Ringo Starr basically rung up and went, "Well, I'm coming," and, <laughs> and play mm. the drums to them. Mm. And there was, and George Harrison did did this concert with Jazz, didn't play any Beatles songs particularly. Played played his own songs. That was a huge risk to take, mm. and I came out of it with even more admiration for George Harrison, who just seemed very committed and just and just and i feel with that song for i think that he the concert of bangladesh and the size of it and the money that it raised yes there was the usual nonsense around scalpers and you know those things have always existed and unfortunately probably always will just in different forms the snake oil people we talk about each week are the sort of online scalpers i think non-fungible tokens and whatnot but um but i i i thought that was really interesting actually in a way. That persuaded me more, I think, than other things that may, maybe music did bring about some change. I'm not sure it brought about change in a direct way. And I think that saying that music changed the world, and there were some good points made that rock stars were at that point the biggest, probably the most influential people in the world. I think I bought that as an argument. I could understand that. It, you know, I, I I found it very interesting. It wasn't always very linear, and there were moments where I struggled a bit with that. But like you say, the new footage really made me sort of think more deeply about this. And whilst, you know, the the, the point that I make about old oh, 1971, I'm right about it. It was the best. Um, you know, I, I I do feel a little bit, you know, a little bit antsy about that. I do, you know, the music is wonderful, and this 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 brings a new spin on it, and I think that's very interesting.
3: On the Lennon and Harrison, um. <laughs> um yeah we, we we saw john lennon at, uh, at tittenhurst park with yoko making yes. the tea very uh, interestingly and as you said yes. Spectre and Tariq ali wandering around um the way i saw it was it was the usual thing of a, a rather cold-eyed suspicious lennon mm. uh, talking nonsense under an umbrella of promoting peace and expounding yes. his naive views on mm. on changing the world um as, as a sort of offshoot, um, haunting me somewhat since I watched it, was a clip of uh, John Lennon using the bathroom, to put it n- politely, but not washing his hands. I, I, well, I've that was a bit. Yes, I, I
0: didn't. But then you are you are by far and away the cleanest of the two yes, of us on do. this podcast. So maybe um, that that's more of a your specialist area than mine.
3: Best bit was uh, around that was a, a, a paranoid. Uh, Richard Nixon putting in secret recording yes. equipment in the Oval Office, then welcoming the Ray Conniff singers to give a performance.
0: Oh, that was only crazy. For,
3: only for two of the women singers to start berating him to stop the <laughs> war in Vietnam. And Nixon sat there grinning in a sort of suppressed rage. That, yes. that was my favourite. And, the, and then but someone
0: the, went on the mic to apologise. And then, yeah, then they, what Conniff. did they say? They sang some completely annoying yeah. song afterwards, didn't they? Yeah. It was, that was very peculiar. I agree, that was a very odd moment. But not uh, least because the, the woman that was berating him had a look of slight look of Karen Carpenter about her. it was <laughs> yes. very unexpected yes. wasn't it
3: yes um the concept of Bangladesh George Harrison uh, it struck me only 28 years old of course at this time know, and as I you know. say there was Phil Spector again and Dylan and a very thin uh, looking Leon Russell um but Yes, I suppose rather cynically uh, it was I felt it was an early version of rich people exhorting poor people to give money for a, a cause. But overall, I loved all 49 minutes and 40 seconds mm. of episode one. Of course, it was a huge nostalgia kick, but some significant issues were reminded to us and mm. several have resonance today. I mean, right from the opening shots of the police battering people. Um, mm. and, and then Chrissy Hine comes on uh, talking. Oh, yes, about over, Kent. Yes,
0: absolutely. About the Kent
3: State Massacre. Yeah, when America turned guns on its own people. And um, I suppose I, I, it's about the Ray Conniff singers and and them um, having a go at Nixon. I think one of the other major highlights for me was footage of Marvin Gaye, who just released What's yes, Going On? of course. And absolutely. along with that, we saw... A a GI interviewed in Vietnam um, who said with bewilderment uh, to the camera, and I actually jotted down what he said. He said... I've been here three months and I don't know why I'm shooting these people. Yeah. And just, that's just said everything.
0: That is, me. that is, All that is, it, that you know. is so. That's so spot on. I think. And uh, can I can I just say as well that actually, having moaned about the thing in the introduction of David Hepworth, but what I've read about it so far is is very interesting. What I had, I've I've got to halfway through through February and I'm really enjoying it. Not least because, unlike a lot of journalists of Hepworth Vintage he is brilliant at recognising that women exist and that they are good and i think we're going to have one in a minute aren't we
3: very much so yes so so it's a terrific series by the look of it so we've only seen episode one um 1971 the year that music changed everything it's on apple tv if you want to watch it. it is
0: and and the Uh, book 1971 never a dull moment rocks golden year by david Hepworth, is published by the good people at black swan Coming up next,
3: uh, football 2020 to 21. How did we do with our predictions?
0: <laughs> this, is, this is always the, uh, yes. the, the 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 tunnel of abuse that pops up on Twitter, yes. but we'll see how we did this year.
3: Um, well, that's next. Um, oh, lovely. Staying with 1971,
0: Carol King. I feel the earth- I mean again talking about sticking a pin in an album and getting any song being good if you stuck a pin in Tapestry by by Carole King you wouldn't get anything bad it is one of those albums that always appears in the best off list but it should always be there frankly it's a brilliant record and actually to be fair David Hepworth wrote an excellent piece about it in the New Statesman um, to celebrate 50 years of it um, a chapter of the of the February chapter of the book is called I Feel the Earth Mood and is given over to, to, to speaking about the impact that it had but Particularly on a generation of young women, I think I was said either in the book or in the article that every every young woman of his acquaintance in 1971, like every single one, had that record, and it, and I think it's great that that he recognised that you know that 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 is a record that was really important for a generation of women and still is. Every every woman I know loves that record and, and rightly so. She's one of the greatest songwriters of all time, I think. Just. In her own right, obviously, originally Goffin and King, but it's it's she's just I mean, every time I uh, every time I I hear this song, it. I mean, it makes me move. I feel the earth move by Carol King and I can't sit still doing it. it, it it's just one of those songs that, that that moves me to my very core, literally, as well as physically, uh, as well as uh, mentally as well. I think just everything about it. I just love
3: there's, there, there's not enough superlatives in all the lexicons Absolutely. in the world to <laughs> describe Carol King and Tapestry in particular. I was reading an interview with um, Jim McCrary, who took mm-hmm. the famous photo of Carol King and a cat, yes. uh, a cat um, Telemachus, for the album yes. cover of Tapestry. And it, he said in this interview, but by the third click of his camera, the cat jumped down. So we, we nearly didn't uh, had a cover without the cat, which would have been uh which would have been disastrous i i think it's it's just such a beautiful cover and what you were saying about how Every young girl had a copy of Tapestry in 1971. Not only Mm. that, that's absolutely true, but I was at college the next year and every girl at college looked like Carol King on the cover of Tapestry, never mind uh, um, owning a copy. So the Mm. the effect that uh, that she had was incredibly pronounced, as you say.
0: Absolutely, yes. A Um, a real influencer, to use the modern
3: parlance. I was watching one of the last round of Premiership football matches last weekend and the commentator's said uh that football generally would be glad to see the back of this last season played unfortunate. <laughs> well the what we all COVID. frankly,
0: yeah. Well I actually
3: said no out loud Ooh, because gosh. obviously I'm not celebrating COVID. But no. in terms of sport and football in particular, this has been a wonderful time for armchair fans. Football is the opiate of the people, of course, yes, keeping really. people off the streets. So I mean there were Premiership matches just about every day, and maybe four mm. games each on Saturdays and Sundays. Absolutely wonderful. Of course, not having crowds diminish the atmosphere, but it also, uh, in my view, perhaps controversially, removed the horror of seeing hate-filled, spittle-frothing white men screaming abuse at Raheem Sterling or Rhys James when they took a corner kick, you know. And no flares, no abhorrent chants, um, no morons punching police horses. And um, police time freed up for them to investigate more social media hate crimes. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I just,
0: but, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just going to leave you on that. Okay. I just can't be bothered to pick that apart.
3: But what, what of our 2020-21 preseason predictions? Mm. Um, uh, well. Um, First category was a prediction for winner of the championship. And Juliet, you picked Middlesbrough, who came 10th.
0: (laughs) Yes, not (laughs) ideal.
3: I went for Brentford, who who finished a creditable third. But Norwich have bounced straight back into Mm. the championship as they came top.
0: Yes, indeed, and I suspect that they're going to be one of that. Well, they have been a yo-yo team for some years, and I, I, I will when we do, well, we will do our predictions for the yeah. new season in due course. And I wish them well, but particularly as I spent three happy years living in the good city of Norwich, so so I'm a I'm a fan of you know a, a very much sort of I don't support them support them, but I always want to see them do well. But I, I you know in any team that's immediately promoted, one always has to worry, I think. But um and and I think that as a QPR fan, I've argued for years that they're ought to be some sort of interim league between the between the Premier League and the Championship for those yo-yo teams that keep yes. picking up and down. To have us in it, Norwich, probably, you know, Sheffield, both of the Sheffields probably yes. would find a place in it. You know, Portsmouth, all those sort of teams that, that seem to spend their lives journeying up and down. Up Maybe up they should There should be a holding pen. But anyway, I wish uh, in the absence of a holding pen, I wish Norwich every success next season. And uh, what happened at Middlesbrough? Who knows? I clearly didn't know anything.
3: (laughs) Well, the the first Premiership sacking, we we both did really poorly as both Mm. our predicted sackies survived the season um, completely. Dean Smith at Villa for you and David Moyes at West Ham for me, which is a terrible pick. Um, I
0: will, I will never, I will never ever better my Mourinho prediction no, of the don't. other season though. So, so that's a busted flush as far as I'm concerned. I'm never expecting anything out of first manager to be sacked again. But yes, that is a ultimate epic fail, isn't it? Really, not yeah. just the fact that 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 we got it, we got the first sacking wrong, but the fact they survived the season, which. <laughs> Yeah, who who knew, frankly? Again, not us.
3: <laughs> the first second came quite late um mm. for Premier League. 16th of December, and it was Slaven Bilic at West Brom. But, Julia, yes. I've got a quick a quick sort of on-the-fly quiz for you.
0: Oh, man, OK. I know. If we
3: ignore Big Sam, Roy Hodgson, and Nuno Dispiratory Santu, who each left their clubs after the last game of the season. OK, yeah. Who are the three premiership managers that were also sacked after Slaven Bilic during the last season. I'll give you help if you need it. I know Um, it's a real tough one off the cuff. I I'm not sure. One's really obvious, think of my team.
0: Oh yes indeed. Um your your man, poor old Frank, he went, didn't he? So yes, um did Pochettino go this season or was that a different no, season? Oh but because you're on because Oh right old, old, old older, our old friend Jose Mourinho in who could have predicted that things would have gone wrong again for poor luckless blameless Jose Mourinho spit yes um Who's so it was the
3: third one
0: Oh now I now you now you're asking, and the problem is and I say it's a problem I mean this is a really poor excuse, but I do feel that lockdown has warped times so badly that I'm struggling to remember. Yeah, you know, but where was Emery and Arteta? That was ages ago, wasn't it? I, I just can't yes. get a grip no, on I'll what happened No, I'll tell you, it wins. was on, Chris John
3: Wilder me. at Sheffield United on oh, the 13th of, of March. Oh, yes, of
0: course it was. So it was yes.
3: Lampard in January, Chris Wilder yes. in March and Mourinho on the 19th of
0: April. But that's not many sackings no. for a season, is it, really? No. Perhaps it goes to show that, you know, maybe people, maybe managers, are maybe because everything is weird, everyone is just a bit more tolerant of the fact that some stuff is weird. And also, of course, there aren't the fans to get ready. Restless in the stadium, yeah, are there now?
3: That's probably a big element to do with it. Maybe, I say, maybe it is. It's, it's, wild I mean, men. you know,
0: yes, what well, can I say? The able to mix, mix control yeah. of crowd is getting restless, but that's not quite the same thing.
3: We voted for our surprise sides of 2021. Oh. I think we were both a little wide of the mark. I yes. went for Everton, who who flattered to uh, flattered for a while, did you you see, and then and then fell away. You picked Southampton, both reasonable choices at the time, but West Ham, mm. so unexpectedly up in the top four for much season, finishing two points outside the top four only, and so. The Europa League for them, and, and I well, think some vindication and congratulations, I suppose, to David Moyes.
0: Yes, indeed. You predicted doomed for, Moyles, mm, for Moyes, and actually, I think I think I egged you on in that because I, you know, put, David Moyes did spend a long time being the unlucky elf of football, didn't he? And yet now he now he seems to have. We seem to get Everton era David Moyes, Moyes back now, don't we? He seems to have found a found a groove again and found found a way to work. And of course, West Ham in that new stadium, which has no one in it because of but um but yeah they seem they seem to have again they they hit a peak didn't they a few seasons ago and then then it all seemed to go horribly wrong yet the raw materials always seem to be there for West Ham it's just it's just finding someone that can kind of sew those together so no pleased to see them succeed good luck to them
3: then things start taking an upturn yes us in the, it does get better three, we, we haven't four, been yes.
0: we haven't been as drecky as we often are with these things
3: bottom three we both picked um in different orders west brom fulham and aston villa yeah which was two-thirds perfect but neither of us expected villa to improve as much as they did no, and sheffield completely. united in one season to drop like a stone from being um real adventurers in their first yes. season to you know just absolute absolutely Rockington. and
0: and, and interesting that neither was predicted that Leeds would go down and and yeah that they you know but we, we, we could have easily have picked Leeds, i think and yet it seems to have worked
3: i mean often we we might expect to see the relegate relegated um clubs jump straight straight back up again yes. as you were just saying the the the, the um, trampoline effect mm. but I, I i'm not sure i don't see that as being a gibby for fulham um no and Sheffield United West Brom in particular I, I see yes. them having real problems and uh, not... well, I mean
0: the, the fact that the big Sam Magic didn't work at West yes. Brom is is you know I, I mean it, I suppose the law of averages was that he had to fail at some point Jeez. didn't he but um but having said that he again it's all about raw materials isn't it and and there just wasn't anything to, for him to work ah, with at West Brom from what side. I could see anyway they just there just was they were in. They were beyond saving before he got there, really. So that's not that's not me slagging off Sam. I thought he, he he you know he did the best he could, and usually it works, doesn't it? But um, yeah, it's and also I am sorry that that Scott Parker is mm. ha, wasn't able to keep Fulham up, and I I hope he's given more time because again I don't necessarily think the problem is him. Do you do you think that's fair?
3: Yeah, I very much do. I mm. think lovely chap, and I think yep. uh, making his way as a manager. And again, I think just the quality of yes. the, the didn't, didn't the have team that and the much. With... Didn't, yeah, and
0: an excellent yeah. motivator. And also, I, yeah. I, I think like poor Frank, who I hope will bounce back somewhere else. I, a good ambassador for the game. I think I yes. know that's a I know that's a tried and tested kind of phrase. But you know, I I you know you stick Scott Parker in front of a camera all the time, wouldn't you, really? <laughs> because he's really good. Yes. So uh, and I I've been inspired to play for him
3: top four you predicted mm. magnificently in fact we both got the top four teams right but in the we wrong did. order but you had Chelsea and Man United right and if you'd only swapped Liverpool and Man City's places you would have achieved a clean sweep so I'm saying a big win for Juliet well thank you That's,
0: that is very good but you also you also got the top I four right. right I wrong mean point. I mean, none, none of your places are right but having said I mean maybe it goes to show though I mean I, I hate to, to drag away from our praise and our, our smugness at, for yeah. once having got some something near enough to write. And uh, actually I I always very much enjoy our annual Richard of not predicting Spurs for the top four and being told off by our pal Joe D B on Twitter. So I feel vindicated that we didn't include Spurs. Sorry Joe. But um but yeah it's it's maybe it just goes to show Yes, it was a good season, like you say. Exciting to see, you know, the teams. I mean, uh, you know, what's gone wrong at Arsenal again? Um, it's it's that that doesn't seem to be showing any signs of getting much better at the moment. But um, well, not not to me anyway. But um, although it was interesting to see the teams, like like you say, West Ham having an unexpected run, Leicester doing very well, and again, mm. if Moyes has been vindicated, well, so is Brendan Rodgers to some extent, hasn't he? There was a, there was a, you know the, the, those teams jostling, but I. You know, yes, hooray that we got the top four right. Was it that hard to predict? I'm, <laughs> no, not, sure. I'm not. not sure it was. I'm not <laughs> sure it was. And I do think that perhaps more than ever, maybe, and I think we've spoken, you know, we've said things, I think lots of people have said things about COVID maybe either making our world more more unequal or making it more obvious that things are unequal. You know, it seems after the Super League debacle, frankly, it it doesn't feel like that happened in a vacuum because the top teams are just so easy to predict because they they are on a different level to everyone else, not necessarily in terms of talent as such, but they've got the money to bring it in, haven't they? And I'm not saying that Klopp isn't very good and Pep isn't very good and all that kind of stuff, but... Yeah, it it does. Uh, the fact that we the fact that we did so well at protecting the top four does depress me a bit. I must admit, because it does it does show to me that you know it's it. How hard is it? You just pump a load of money in and buy loads of good players, and then you just win stuff. It's 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 a bit joyless for me. I must admit.
3: It's another reminder um, of how hard it is to hold on to the Premiership title in consecutive yeah. years. Yes. Um, Actually, I'll give the the listeners a moment to think about this and and you. Mm -hmm. There's only three teams in the Premiership era that have actually held on to the Premiership title in successive years. So Manchester United in 1993
0: and 1994. Uh, Manchester United again, I think, in 96, 97, 97, 98.
3: Was it that era? They're one of the three teams, Man United. Who are the other two?
0: Oh well, so I, so many us have done it twice. Three yeah, separate
3: um, teams. Three separate yeah. teams have held So Manchester up United
0: have done it. Yeah. Um, uh, Chelsea have done it. I see yes. And Manchester City.
3: Spot on. Spot on. And, you uh, win the big big prize. That was, that was good. <laughs> I wouldn't have got that.
0: I was going to. Well, I mean, the interesting, the interesting thing, or the sort of the. For all that the Arsenal under, under Wenger were, were amazing in many ways, they didn't hold on to the title consecutively, did they? Uh, those those yeah. Invincibles only won it for a season, didn't they? It was, really interesting. I think
3: I this last year. is that I, I saw an interview with um, John Terry, uh, yeah. I think when he was retiring yes. a few of years ago. And it was one of his um, most interesting subjects mm. was the fact that when you've put so much energy into a season and you've won it and the pressure Mm. and everything, and then, you win it and you dip immediately your yes. adrenaline drops you can't help it physically and mentally you drop yeah and I think to then start the next season after only maybe six weeks two months mm. and have that motivation again is really really hard and he was very articulate on that. yeah that, that
0: that's, that's really interesting. interesting I think I've seen that interview and it was very interesting the the comparison I can think of perhaps in music to some extent is that in terms of the pressure being on once you've been successful mm. I think that's probably part of it as well is that you have your whole life to write your first album and six to nine months to write your second. And I think a similar thing happens. The, the the big example I can think of, which I think, I think speaks a bit to the stuff that we were speaking of previously regarding sort of putting lots of money in. Is it the route to success? All that sort of thing. The house that Jack built, Blackburn Rovers unexpectedly winning the title in, yes. in 94, 95. And, you know the fact that it couldn't be recreated because of course the problem is is that you know if you to some yes they had a lot of money but equally they did it on a team that was quite i mean if you if you compare all the big mega stars now to a team that was built round Colin Hendry, uh, David Batty, you know a bit of mm-hmm. the Stubbs, you know Behningberg was the exotic Norwegian import, and of course Alan Shearer, and 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 then they got they got Sutton, didn't they? Which Chris is probably Sutton, what we owe, that they're getting having the money to get Sutton combined with Shearer was then what won it for them, I think. But um, it was it's I thought really interesting that. You know, they, to some extent, Bright, uh, Blackburn rather was a little bit of a rags to riches story. Yes, they did have, have a millionaire that put money into them, but they did it on, you know, on, on fairly raw materials, it has to be said, but... You know, once that happened, the the victim of your own success. Everyone got sold, didn't they? Everyone went away, yes, and it. and it just didn't. something left, and it and it just didn't. And Shearer went, and, and it just it it yeah it, it it all it all fell apart. And to some extent, interesting, the same thing happened with Leicester, didn't it? Because wasn't it funny that they, we hate it when our friends become successful? The manager that got them to the got them to got them to to win, didn't they? All of a sudden, became persona non grata, and that was very bewildering so so it takes it takes an all, I mean I, I would make the comparison, a, a very sensible university lecturer who was very no-nonsense, she was Germanic and everyone was a bit frightened of her but actually when you had a conversation with her, she was called Vanessa, so she was great uh, when you had a conversation with her, she said some quite sensible things and we were talking about I think in the run-up to finals and I went to see her in her office talking about, about something, we were talking about run-up to finals and sort of how difficult how difficult it is to do you know, to, to get good marks in things and she said to me and, and it's stuck with me to this day, she said an awful lot of things have to go well at the same time for you to be able to do well in these to get a good degree you have to do well in a spread of different subjects you have to be healthy you have to be living in a cut you know in happy situation there are lots of there are, you have to you know the sometimes the questions fall for you on the day sometimes they don't you know she said there's all sorts of things that have to go well at the same time and I think that that can be said about football clubs as well particularly football clubs winning the Premier League you you know the owner has to be has to be sort of engaged and have the finances, but equally know when to step back. You've got to have a manager that that you know that, that that can inspire players, but equally has tactical news. You have to be able to play the media game. You have to play you know psychology. You have to have the right mix of players. There's just the, the alchemy of it, like you say, is so hard to achieve once that achieving it immediately the following season takes something really special. And actually, I think that Manchester United the chelsea team and the and the Man City team, they were all special teams, I mm. think, and that's they just that that kind of alchemy. the fact that it's only happened three times and the Premier League will be going twenty years next year just goes to show how difficult it is. Mm,
3: exactly well, there's no respite now that, if you don't like football, I mean are there such <laughs> people? are there really such people because Although the Premier League is over, hooray! The European Championship starts in a matter of days. There's and
0: no and, and they do it deliberately to make my my perception of time even more messed up. They're still calling it Euro 2020 yes. even though it's 20. That is so. That I mean, although I guess that again it comes down to pragmatic things. They've printed all the merchandise now, haven't course, they? So I yeah, suppose yeah. there's a warehouse full of Panini Euro 2020 stickers that still needs to be sold, and which I have to be honest, I'll still probably buy. So so I can see why it needs to. Stay with that but yeah I have yeah there are sweepstakes everywhere everyone's doing a sweepstake I'm not going to suggest we do a parish (laughs) council we do a parish council podcast sweepstake because I cannot be bothered to organize it neither can you but but yeah it's, we, I suppose we will talk about Euro 2020 when it comes, but I mean, I'm very interested in how many people want to do sweepstakes for this because we still can't do very much at the moment. Everyone gets very invested in big things, don't they? So I suspect that even people that don't like football will end up following Euro 2020, I predict, just as simply as something to do and a point of interest in the same way as. Everybody I knew watched Eurovision this year, even people that have previously professed to have hated it. So I suspect that there'll be quite a lot of secret football fans this summer just because it's something to do. Coming right up
3: musicians and bands as marketing opportunities. Uh oh. That's next after from
2: 1971,
3: hmm. Credence Clearwater Revived. A successful period was, was really quite short, maybe three years, but a string of hit singles and albums in that period, broadly 1969 to 1972. This is from towards the end of that hugely successful run released in January 1971, number 36 in the UK, number eight in America, Credence Clearwater Revival and Have You Ever Seen The Rain?
0: Well, I have to be honest, Terrence. Yes, I've seen an awful lot of it this yes. winter, so it wasn't ideal to be reminded of that. But no, C- Credence were, like you say, they burned very brightly for a relatively short time, mm. but they made some incredible records. I-, I think if I had to pick my favourite Credence uh, song, it'd probably be Run Through the Jungle, I think, which is brilliant. But I do think that is great as well. And And, you know, like you say, at the peak of their powers very briefly, but very brightly.
3: Absolutely. Um, I think have you ever seen the rain? It was uh, um, it wasn't literally about the rain. It was a metaphor yes. for um, John Fogerty finding the other three members of the band so miserable that uh, at, their, at their success and because they weren't writing the oh, songs and he was, yes. he, he, he was sort of having a little pop at them um, about their, their <laughs> misery I, at their success. Uh,
0: always lovely when band members have pops mm. at other band members through the medium of song. Always leads to happiness, in my opinion. <laughs> yes. Clearly not.
3: Hence, they're very short. Yes, uh, absolutely. In, in, Who in the could moment. have
0: predicted from that song and that <laughs> tale that, that they would have fallen out?
3: A generation ago, it was thought to be very unseemly. It was called selling out if mm. musicians agreed for their music to be used in the world of advertising. It was, it was roundly sneered upon, rather like Maggie Smith finding a butler with his top. Button of his shirt undone. Mm. It was a major scandal. Then in 1980, it leaked out that David Bowie had made a commercial for Saki, the wine yes. made from rice, um, but had stipulated that it could only be shown in Japan. Pun. And such mm. was his uh, you know his horror and shame of, of, of being involved in this. And um, it was a sensation at the time, but. It seems ridiculous 40 years later when musicians are queuing up to sell their back catalogues to the highest bidder and the tie-ins between musicians and commercial enterprises has never been closer. But am I alone, Jules, in wincing a little at some of these latest link-ups, several of them involving McDonald's?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, like like you say, I think there's been a real sea change and probably in the last 10 years, I would say, in that I, I don't know if it's been the, the, sort of the, the, the rise of, I wonder if it's symbiotic with the rise of being able to buy songs easier online on things like iTunes, because, of course, the, the advantage now is, is particularly with tools like Soundhound and uh, Shazam, that if I'm watching something and there's a tune playing on an advert, this happens a lot, actually, and we've played tunes on this podcast, before that I've heard on things Mm. some of them iTunes and sort of Apple adverts you hear a tune you think oh I really like that and you use your phone to you know to do Shazam or something or Soundhound and which is just a weird kind of spooky magic in itself I remember going around with my iPhone to someone's house a few years ago and he wouldn't believe me and he went through like every record in his collection to try and beat this kind of algorithm (laughs) and couldn't He was really bewildered by I mean in the end I think that we managed to beat it with some fall bootleg but but it was it it was, you know, really, he was just, he thought it was witchcraft, he nearly burnt me at the stake before I left, it was really, he really couldn't get it, but anyway, so what well, if you do that now, or you google the lyrics or something or, in some cases, you text your friend your friend being me, and I tell you what it is I seem to be some people's personal Shazam I'm not quite sure how that's happened, but anyway Um, and you're told what the song is and you can buy it instantly, I mean just you literally, you can press one button on your phone to tell you what it is, and then you can press the button that takes you to a platform on which you can buy it, and then you can have it on your phone, so so in this age maybe that's fed each other maybe that's why you know it's easier to put songs on adverts and and actually there's a much more obvious link i think between being able to monetize for the band personally rather than just you know you know like you say peering on an advert like david bowie did to sell something else maybe the maybe the opportunity to sell your own music maybe the link is much stronger thanks to these you know thanks to pressing mm-hmm. buttons on a phone and buying music i'm not sure you know that's just a theory. I'm not sure how much that holds up, but yeah. I so so I think that it's it's far more of a cultural thing where everything you watch on TV. I mean documentaries, your cash in the attic type programs that you like, um, Home Under the Hammer, that sort of thing. Um, you know the amount of times I've seen people buying antiques to slide in the family stone or similar or on Bargain Hunt or Curtis Mayfield. They seem to like Curtis Mayfield a lot. Um, they're on you know, songs are on adverts, songs are in. You know the Greys and Optimization of 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 drama. They do it on Holby City. Now even modern day Simpsons have a will have a sequence where they play a song over the top of it. Um, Does it
3: diminish the appeal of the of the music? I rather I, suspect I, it might. Uh,
0: I, well, I I suppose. I suppose I often find that I have to take a break from my favourite records because they go from being wonderful, magical things to just being a part of life, a workaday part of life. Having listened to Stories in the City by PJ Harvey every day of my life for 18 months when I was um, I think about 19 or 20, got to a point where I had to stop listening to it because I thought, well, I'm not... I'm going to lose the magic from this. I'm going to lose the joy from this. It's just going to become pop of my life. So, there is, there is a danger that I mean, I still get a thrill if I hear a record on the radio or even a record on an advert that I really, really like. That I don't know. I still, I so I, sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. If I already know the song, then perhaps it perhaps it does lose its appeal a bit. I remember my my friends saying that. I mean, some would argue they haven't stood the test of time anyway. But she can't listening. She can't listen to Speak Easy by by Shed Seven anymore without then seeing at the link it's easy because they used it to to advertise the link um, mobile phones, for example. So mm. so yes, if it's done in a particularly cheesy way, it can lose its appeal. Otherwise. Maybe this is a generational thing, but I occasionally find it a good way to discover music that I really like and that we've played on this podcast and that we've enjoyed. Um, however, there are I, I have less of a problem with music being used on adverts just to soundtrack things, then I, I mean, I can, I can put it in the same box in my head as music being used in films or music being used on TV programs, I, you know, just to soundtrack dramas rather than advertising per, per se. I can, I, I have less of a problem with that than I do with, you know, actually using, actually sort of in using your music in an integral way and your band's identity. And, I, and, and we're talking about McDonald's, you mentioned, so I've just recently got my head around B- who BTS are. I mean, for anybody else like me who lives in a cave, uh, BTS are a, a Korean boy band who are basically the biggest, the kings of K-pop, the biggest selling sort of band in the world, mm. that sort of thing. So early this week, McDonald's started serving the BTS meal. Oh, God. Which is, um, so what's, your, what's in a BTS meal? 10 chicken nuggets, medium fries, Medium coke and a sweet chili and Cajun dipping sauce is inspired by recipes from McDonald's, South Korea. Now I think <laughs> the meal sounds quite nice actually. I like chicken nuggets. I'm a big fan yeah. of I'm a big fan of them. Um but so it's will be followed at 7 pm Eastern time with a and this is where it starts to get a bit meh, um with a drop of merchandise. It's, oh, everything's no. a drop now. So yes. there is a oh, drop of it, merchandise yeah. exclusively on the Weverse. I mean, I thought that sounded like someone not managing to say reverse properly, but no, it's Weverse rather than the reverse um, shop app. A Korean platform created by BTS's parent company, which is called Hybe, spelt like hype, but with a B in it instead. Um, and uh, McDonald's tells Rolling Stone, you know, Rolling Stone, they always encourage these idiots. Anyway, um, that the clothing was inspired by menu items. The drop oh, will no. have hoodies bath robes socks and sandals presumably not at the same time and fans can expect to see a combination of the bts's brand's signature purple color i did not know band's own colored nails but apparently it's they brief. do with the classic mcdonald's red and gold bts also filmed a commercial mcdonald's and this is where i this is why i start to find this where i start to find it difficult it's not just their music it's them in it mm. um featuring their latest single butter funnily food related i mean to be fair to mcdonald's the only thing their food seems to lack in terms of heart attack inducing stuff <laughs> is butter everything else yeah. is in here but butter isn't there and uh, so th- so they've done that and it will begin airing on american tv well it began air- airing on american telly earlier this week and the restaurant's train- chances also has some never seen before digital surprises up its sleeve oh, that will God. roll out in its own app i mean so they're not the only bcs and mcdonald's aren't the only people at this um Lady Gaga, who I usually have a lot of time for, created mm-hmm. pink and green Oreos in honour oh, of Gramatica. God. Post Malone, one of the many people to rep Pokemon. Celine Gomez, designing a serendipity ice cream flavour for her single with Blackpink. I find, I find, Will's I find yeah and I find I find that the the artists themselves I I mean I know I'm speaking to you as the woman that wears Britney Spears's perfume so I know that that I don't have an issue with pop stars diversifying into not they smell nice anyway diversifying into into other areas but I just I I still struggle with the idea of you know you know the the thought of, of of Coldplay trying to sell me toothpaste or something like that I I find I do struggle with that aspect of it I think the naked kind of advertising um, it's called famous orders. This whole thing, um, and there was a particularly vomit-inducing press release, um, which which uh, was released <laughs> by McDonald's corporate. Um, I, I, I'll read a couple. I don't think we can we can deal with all of this, but just no, just no. just so that we can just so that we can all experience just the bizarre netherworld of advertising, and, and why are bands want? Why are people that make music wanting to go into this world? you could argue perhaps be i mean i don't know the story of bts i don't know if they're manufactured or not um it might be that fans and some people think they think they're not it might be that the reality is different i don't know but anyway i i don't know enough about bts to 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 theorise on this, and you know, I usually will happily grab it a while too, but I am aware of the power of BTS fans, and yeah. I I do not want to unleash that. But anyway, um, so just in case, you know, just in case you think that people are all about the music, man, this is the world. If if you are a band that is listening and you're thinking of using your using your latest masterpiece to flog, or or being in an advert playing your song to flog, I don't know i can't think of anything that i mean i'm gonna say sylvanian families actually i probably would approve of that but um, you know to to flog colesburg or whatever it is that you want to do dear colleagues and partners Last year we embarked on a journey to deliver growth and drive greater impact in the communities we serve throughout accelerating the Arches plan. There's a hyperlink to that. I'm not clicking it. We defined three pillars rooted in our brand identity oh. as key drivers for our growth. M for maximise our marketing. C for commit to core menu favourites. Uh-huh. And D for double down on the three D's delivery, de- uh, digital delivery and driving. That's a bit like when Homer Simpson has <laughs> uh, has a barbecue in the Simpsons and has that they, uh, has an invitation that says y o b, b b y o b, and they go, what's that B for? Oh, that's a typo. I feel there's the similar way <laughs> about, about uh, D for double down on the three Ds. But as you'll recall, yes, you'll remember, Terence, these are more than independent levers to pull on. Uh, when activated together, they create moments of magic for our customers. Uh, our famous orders program, which launched in the US last year, has become a powerful example of this. It shines a bright light on a simple yet universal truth. In every country where we operate, from every walk of life and at almost every stage, everyone has a go-to McDonald's order, which makes oh. me feel bad for wanting those chicken nuggets now. But anyway, <laughs> as we continue to harness our scale and our fans love I mean I don't consider myself a fan of McDonald's. I'm not a fan of McDonald's. I used to go there when I was tired on my way home from work. Um, Our fans love our core menu items. We're taking this programme one big step further. One giant leap for man one giant leap for chicken nugget kind I assume. Introducing the bts meal we're joining forces with global pop icons bts to offer their favorite order in nearly 50 participating markets that's what's so depressing there Mm. are i I initially read that as 50 different end restaurants and thought oh that's quite a lot no mcdonald's are so enormous they have 50 different markets these are territories (laughs) these are countries these aren't you know these these this isn't like you know 50 shops making Uh. this our first celebrity signature order that will be available to McDonald's customers all over the world. And it just goes on and on and on. Like this. And, and you know, and the idea is that the band's signature order includes a 10 or 9 piece chicken McNuggets, depending on your market. So basically, oh, I mean, so surely if you want chicken nuggets, you want chicken nuggets. Do you want different, do you want 10 chicken nuggets if you come from one country? Nine chicken nuggets? I, I just, <laughs> I know, I, do, I do just this utter bilge. I mean, I get that people have to make a living. I get that people were paid to write that, but it's so ironic that for a food manufacturer, that's made me feel deeply nauseous. I must admit it's 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 just and you feel like saying, you know, to these these bands, Is this really what you want to do? Did you really write songs in your bedroom as a teenager so that you could you could flog a chicken fillet of fish burgers to people that probably can't afford them in the the favelas of Brazil? I mean, I do. I do have an issue with that. Maybe I I don't know. Maybe maybe because I do, because there, there have been such issues around McDonald's. But I mean, it's one thing having your music you can make an argument however tenuous that that putting your music on on adverts and and things you know it, it does allow you it does open open your music to be bought by you know to be bought by people that might not have heard it before like me for example it's a whole different kettle of, fillet of fish if you pardon the pun hey. um if you were you know if, if you're actually sort of stood there grinning eating the burger i i yeah i i find this really like you say i think dystopian is a really good way of describing it i find it really odd
3: Yeah, that is a really bizarre story. I was looking this week at how the relationship between the corporate sector and bands and musicians has changed quite fast. Only Mm -hmm. 20 years back, that you two turned down a $25 million deal with the car makers, people that make Jeep, because they thought their fans would accuse them of selling out.
0: That is very interesting, isn't it?
3: Yeah, but on the reverse of that dylan as we we talked about some weeks recently sold off his back catalogue yeah absolutely. so we can expect an avalanche of his music in commercials now but that's nothing new he's already tied in you're talking about you know uh, how can you release your music for these things dylan mm-hmm. In the last few years, his music was used in Victoria Secret's underwear commercial in 2007.
0: <laughs> wow, I can't think, I can't think of anybody I'd less uh, want to think about in my underwear than Bob Dylan. Too. I must admit.
3: Yogurt in 2014, Google <laughs> in 2010, iPads yes. in 2006, wow. cold supermarket 2013, mm. Pepsi in 2009. It's a long, long list. Uh, you yes. know, of course, we've had that link up between Phil Collins and Cadbury's chocolate with that gorilla playing. Yes. Although
0: well, to be fair, he wasn't in the Advert, wasn't he it was yesterday. in
3: the Abbott. Is, is, is,
0: no, that exactly. was definitely a gorilla playing those drums and not film.
3: <laughs> Even the Beatles have succumbed, perhaps yes, somewhat surprisingly. Sweet. Have a bit of a search on YouTube. You'll find Ringo uh, inexplicably with the monkeys selling yes. pizza. I've um, seen that. That's very strange. Yeah, that's
0: strange I, I, did, I, got, I did get the impression throughout that commercial that everybody had a gun to their head. I didn't get the impression yeah, it was a it, particularly it joyful look hookup. It did
3: like a hostage situation. It, really. <laughs> um, it, we've had all together now on a book. A Budweiser commercial oh, hello yes. goodbye for target supermarkets and perhaps the most disturbing of all which i half forgotten but I watched this commercial this week in 1987 revolution was used to sell nike sportswear yes it was wasn't it that's
0: that's the most jaw-dropping i think i have to say in terms of bands diversified for me i took it took me a very long time to realize that the bloke that played the drums in the beatles and the the nice man that narrated thomas the tank engine was the (laughs) same person i had no idea that they i thought they were two different ringo stars i didn't know it's interesting what you say about adverts though and, and selling out even at that time when you two were, were saying, "Oh, we don't want to advertise this because our fans are just selling it." At the same time, there was a particular there were two particular brands where if you had your music in that advert, it was seen as really credible and cool. One was Guinness. Mm, yes, Do you remember um, a Fat yes. Planet by the le- by left Field yes. and the and and the horses. The other one that was the ultra cool. If you were a radio plugger, if you could get your bands, often a quite unusual band, and that's what made this quite interesting. You can buy a compilation of the music used on this advert. I've probably mentioned this before on the podcast. Apologies if I have, and you're a regular listener, but if yeah. you are taking your dog out, maybe you'd like to listen to it again. Uh-huh. Um, the Levi's adverts.
3: Yes, if you could of Get
0: your tune yeah. on a Levi's advert in the 90s, and Levi's was seen as super. Cool. Yes. That actually, they were they were such a cool brand that actually being associated with them made you cooler. You weren't accused and of to, you, out. And to
3: number one, almost. Yes, certainly. Well, should I stay or should I go? The Clash. I yes.
0: Remember. Um. Stilt skin inside yes. a one hit wonder. That was enormous. Spaceman by Babylon Zoo. <laughs> a nation of people bought the record, then realised that the quick bit was only thirty seconds long, and you <laughs> had four and a half minutes of dirge. I've still got that on a twelve inch. I am not ashamed. Um. And also. So my particular favourite, Pepe Deluxe, um, who had a very twisty song, and I use that word deliberately, called Before You Leave. Originally, it was called something else on the album, and it was renamed, I suspect, because the bit in the Levi's advert that is played has Before You Leave, the lyric in it, and I wonder if rather cynically they changed it to that, in order because the vinyl album I've got of them from that era has it under a different name. But that song was used to, and and this is a, a rare example of, The music twists about a lot. I might have to pick this next week. It twists around a lot. And it was advertising Levi's that had twisted seams. So they oh, were okay. twisted and the seams went round the round. The. I mean, I I I borrowed a pair of, from a friend of mine once and they were really uncomfortable to wear. I mean, it's I get they sound uncomfortable. Yes, I get what. Unless you've got
3: twisted to legs to put in. Well, the yes,
0: absolutely. I mean, I am quite bendy, but even and I, I'm extremely double jointed. But even I struggle with those. But but the the choice of the music and the thing was memorable. I can remember 22 years on that those were twisted jeans and that was that was the band in the tune. So Good so one. it's not always been the case and and. Um, I don't know if that would happen now or not. Maybe we've become more cynical. I'm not sure. So not always the case that use, but you have to be very careful, I think, about what you pick. And and like you say, the risk of overexposure. Now that that now that Bob Dylan's back catalogue is sold off, and we talked about the dangers of this. That if you pay overinflated prices for these things, it means you have to use them absolutely everywhere, and that has implications.
3: Well, time for us to press on, and time. to 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 move thanks very mu- uh, much for being with us this week
0: uh, yes i'm al- always very pleased and it, it is really nice i jested about people walking their dogs but it's really nice to hear from people to say that they like listening to us when they're going out walking or they're they're working doing gardening or something it's it's i, I love hearing about all the things that we're doing with people that listen to us i think it's great so it's, it's lovely that, that everyone is here with us thank you
3: And finally, Jules, back not to 1971, but to 2004 (laughs) and a one-way ticket to Palookaville
0: absolutely i feel that palookaville by fat boy stim is very much an overlooked album and i've tried during the various periods of lockdown that we've had to dig into my music collection a bit more and to listen to albums which i haven't listened to for a while or perhaps i feel have been rather unjustly overlooked and this was fat boy sim's fourth album um his debut was better living through chemistry which i think some people bought uh you've come a long way baby was the really big one that sort of broke him and it had the big numbers like right here right now and gang to Tripping and uh, and Rockefeller Skank and that was his big hit album um, I think but uh, the next one was Between the Gutter, Between the Gutter and the Stars and I think by the time he released Palookaville I think I, I don't know, I, I think that people are just sort of I don't know if they'd lost interest. I don't know if he'd become such a superstar, massive DJ. that novelty was
3: wearing off a little, I
0: think. Maybe. And also he was doing, he was doing big Brighton gigs at that point, wasn't he? Mm. I think, or he was starting to do the big gigs. And I think he was going back towards being a DJ again, rather than necessarily being an artist. But I think this record has got some real sort of overlooked, unloved treasures on it. And I I really like this. Um, simply because I remember it was criticised at the time by somebody for saying that, that Damon Albarn from Blur does the does the, the guest yeah. vocal on this. And someone said he sounds absolutely exhausted. This is dreadful. But actually, for me, the charm of this is the fact that it, it suits the lyrics to me. And actually, I picked this because it suits how I, and I think a lot of people are feeling at the moment, as we as we perhaps look towards unlocking. We're not sure. It's all still very uncertain. But this kind of air of trying to trying to put literally put things back together whilst feeling quite exhausted at the same time i just felt that this song is a song for our times really so may not be a song of 1971 but this has been one of the songs of my week i must admit this is Fatboy Slim featuring damon Albarn from the album palookaville and this is called Put it back together